Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, April 18th, 2023. My name is Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thank you for being with us today, or maybe you're on the archives, and you know we archive over at ace-ed.org, the home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education. And uh, we talk a lot about equity and access and uh, all sorts of things like that. We want your voice over there as well. Please go over. Everything we do at ace-ed is free for you, and uh, we'd love to have you write for us, come on the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. Don't be shy. We have a wonderful magazine over there called Equity and Access. Just click on the cover. You'll really enjoy the new issue. And part of what we do, all our podcasts are there under the podcast link, are these podcasts on Education Talk Radio. And today it's a real treat for me. We're going to do a subject called Taking a Broader View of Essential Early Literacy Instruction, and to do that with me, okay, is Dr. Molly Ness, our good friend, who's the VP of Academic Content at Learning Ally, all right? And she, and this I love, you know, and this is so important for everybody listening, and because most people in the industry are former classroom teachers, and that's very key for people to remember. The industry loves to have former teachers and administrators come in and work. All right. She is a reading researcher. She's a teacher educator. She began the End Book Deserts podcast, and she has the End Book Deserts initiative that she works as well. She is also the founder of the Coalition for Literacy Equity, speaking of equity, and she serves on the board of directors for the International Literacy Association. She is a dynamo, and I don't know how she found time to be with us today, but Molly Les somehow did, and here she is. How was that for an introduction, Molly? Well, I always have time to speak with you. <laughs> Thank you. And I always make time to have you here on the show, because I think you're a wonderful guest, and you bring so much to the audience. Where are you today? I am in New York, where spring has finally sprung. <laughs> I know you'll be coming up to Maine soon, where you spend part of the year, and the spring has not quite sprung yet, but big news, all the snow was finally off the lawn. Not a drop well, left. I, I actually always love that Maine is kind of like a month behind, because yeah, when I finally yeah. do come up, then it's like I get spring twice, so it's always a, so a treat. <laughs> you, you do, actually, 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 that's a very good way to put it, Okay. That's a very, but the problem is you lose sometimes. We get autumn and winter a little bit earlier, so it just kind true. of evens out in the end, you know, Molly. So what can yep. I tell you? Pleasure to have you here today. Uh, before we start on this subject, which is a good view of essential early le- literacy education, and this actually uh, just uh, uh, jigsaws right in. Uh, can you uh, tell us about where you work as the VP of Academic Content over at Learning Ally? Okay, and that's learningally.org. Okay, and they work every day to solve the uh, literacy challenges out there. Trans- I'll just say this right off their website, learningally.org, transforming the lives of early and struggling learners. Molly, you're on. Take it from there. Well, thank you. Yes, Learning Ally is a long-standing nonprofit. We're about 75 years old. Um, long you don't time look it, com- Molly. You don't look uh, <laughs> Long-time <laughs> commitment to um, addressing um, students and uh, schools in supporting them with literacy. We um, mm. embrace a whole child uh, literacy philosophy where we think of literacy as an ecosystem. So we're not just looking at um, the instructional components that 
help kids to read, but also the cognitive um, components, yeah. and socio-emotional um, sorts of things. So we're, we're very well known for our audiobook solution, which has sort of been our um, long-standing solution, but we're really excited to enter new spaces in terms of professional learning um, and some early literacy curriculum. And so my work is um, focused mostly on that, building up professional learning for schools and, and right. teachers as well right. as the, the curriculum. And, you know, i got to tell you, the professional learning side, that is, I believe, more important than ever these days. As you know, as you know there is a teacher retention challenge out there, all sure. right? And a lot of teachers are leaving the profession, all right, for a million different reasons. We're not going to get into that today. But one of the reasons they're leaving, well, here I go getting into it, but one of the reasons they're leaving, <laughs> stupid way to introduce that, one, one, one of the reasons they're leaving is because they feel frustrated. They're, the kids, the audience is changing, all right? There's a lot different out there than it was before, and they need all the professional help and guidance. The things that they learned years ago aren't the same now, okay? They need all the professional guidance. So whenever a, a, a school district hooks up with a company, and I hope they do check out Learning Ally, that professional development part of it makes all the difference in the world. It has to be ongoing. There's my speech for today. Well, and absolutely, and it also has to be from um, sources that you can trust. In other words, yeah. um, there's Good so much point. information out there for schools and leaders, and we know that busy Folks in schools don't have the time to weed through what's supported by science, what's um, you know best yeah. practices. So, um, our professional learning is really committed to taking current high-quality research and bridging the, the the gap between research and actual practice. So everything we do is Good. backed by research, but really um, is applicable to what are you going to do tomorrow in your classroom for your fourth graders? How are you going to put this in place um, next week? Um, as well as really bringing in some expert voices. So we're really excited to be um, creating professional learning where you're actually going to have relationships with some of the thought leaders in the field. And um, we know that that is another really effective way um, to, to get that information out to the people who need it most. Absolutely. And speaking of experts, you, you know, I think your podcast, and you can correct me on that, one of the podcasts that you're doing, which might be End Book Deserts, I don't know which one this was on, you'll tell us in a second. This one was about the 2023 literacy learning landscape. Try saying that 10 times fast. The 2023 <laughs> literacy learn. Peter Piper picked a peck of, no, uh, literacy learning landscape with two early literacy experts, which, by the way, you are as well, Natalie Wexler and uh, Dr. Katie Miles, okay? Uh, when you have these discussions with these experts, and I'm going to say this again, you are one, too. You are a real, you are actually an expert. I feel like the Wizard of Oz. I'm naming you an expert, okay? <laughs> You're an expert. You can put up a little, I'll send you a little uh, uh, piece of paper, a uh, diploma that says uh, you're an official expert, okay? What, what was your discussion about on this? Where, where's all this? And you know, there's a lot of, you know this, there's a lot of controversy out there about the way we teach reading. All right, and I don't have to get into that, but it's, it's, it's you know it, a lot of it has to do with quote the science of reading and all that sort of stuff. I imagine that the early reader and the struggle the struggling reader, okay, are key components of, of we got to get this straight from the beginning. I always say you build a good foundation, you got a good house. Okay, what's going on right there? What did Natalie and Katie and you talk about? <laughs> 
Literacy sure. Well, learning landscape. Go for it. Yes, Marla. that that podcast <laughs> um, actually is available through. It's actually a webinar, I should say, um, oh, through Learning okay. Ally. It happened um, at the beginning um, of the year, but is available for uh, free viewing um, at any point. Um, well, first of all, I have to say it was like my happy place. I got with these two <laughs> thought leaders, and we could geek out about the science of reading all great. day long. So um, it was yeah. a fabulous conversation. And what was great about it is Natalie Wexler is known for her book, The Knowledge Gap, which really looks at the role of background knowledge and language comprehension in reading. Mm -hmm. And then Katie's work, um, particularly with regard to early literacy, is more looking at the bottom portion of the Scarborough Reading Rope, those um, skills that help kids lift the words off the page. So you bring people in, one who's really focused on language comprehension and one who's really focused on word recognition and decoding. And you sort of have all of the key components in place to have rich conversations about um, about learning and about learning to read. So we talked about the importance of culturally relevant text. Ah, um, we talked about um, how to use recovery funds to address COVID learning losses. Um, we talked um, at quite some length about the notion that um, all real progress is made when we create school-wide communities where every teacher is a teacher of reading. Um, and then we, of course, talked about <laughs> the science of reading and brain-based reading instruction. Yeah, you know, I, I got to tell you, I was a history teacher, and I knew nothing about teaching reading, and I know knew nothing about understanding how people read and all that. So I, I never understood nothing, not or not nothing. Okay, it was never taught to me in college, etc. And what you just said struck a chord because every teacher has to be a reading teacher, and I know we're learning ally is a specialist in struggling readers and early early learning readers. Okay, but I taught uh, middle school social studies, and I just assumed all the kids could read fine, and believe me, they could not, okay? And a lot of them were having trouble in history, okay, and, and social studies, what I was teaching, and I, I never knew why, really, okay, because this, this was never taught way back then. And it's important for people to understand this now, and it's important for education schools to understand this, that what you said makes perfect sense. Every teacher has to be aware, uh, can these kids read, which brings me to the NAEP scores, okay, which kind of showed us that most kids are having trouble reading. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a simple question, and you have to answer it in three minutes. Okay, where did we go wrong? Where did, where did we go wrong? Go ahead. Go. Do that one. Yeah. So Let's where did we yeah. go wrong? Um, I, well, um, you know, three minutes or less. Uh, well, first of all, you know, you're bringing yeah. back my memories of my first year um, in my classroom. I was a middle school yeah. content area teacher. I went into teaching history because I loved history. And it's, it's many people are facing the reality of, wow, it doesn't really matter if I talk about ancient Rome or ancient Mesopotamia if my kids can't read the text. Um, yeah. So um, in my opinion, one of the things that um, we did incorrectly, and I think we're at an exciting time where we have the realization of what didn't work previously, and we can redo it this time, is um, our, our instruction in word recognition wasn't explicit enough. So we sort of um, 
were a little bit more um, more sort of, I don't want to say loosey-goosey, but not as hyper-focused on explicit instruction and lifting words off the page. And then I think we also really underestimated the importance of how much background knowledge impacts comprehension. And so when we think about that mm. history teacher who um, mm. came into the classroom because they love um, their content. I'm not expecting necessarily that that ninth grade history teacher or that seventh grade history is literally teaching their kids, you know, how to decode, but they are becoming no. a teacher who helps their kids read and write about history. So it's not um, that we're expecting them to provide explicit instruction in word recognition, but we're really helping them understand that to understand history, you have to read like a historian, you have to write like a historian. Mm and what that looks like in different content areas. It's so important. And by the way, you said, you know, these are exciting times. I'm going to segue here for a second because Learning Ally has something new, and I want you to talk about this. It's called Excite, you said the word, Excite Reading. Okay? And talk about this. Yeah, so. Excite Reading. You said so these our, are exciting times. I'm expecting they you are, to excite um, me. The, the, I'm expecting the, the, you to excite me. Go ahead. The, the spotlight is on um, literacy instruction. There's so many conversations yeah, in um, the popular press and social media about reading. Um, so that is what excites me, as well as this new um, early literacy um, instructional program that we've created. It's pre-K through 2. And um, we know that to give kids a solid foundation in reading, they need an instruction in lifting the words off the page, that decoding, as well as understanding the words behind them. So language comprehension, hmm. background knowledge, vocabulary, all those sorts of things. And so we've got um, a program that addresses that really, really successfully. We take text sets, so books that are related by topic or by theme, and each text set has um, three texts or more, and they are the topics that kids want to learn about, um, farming and animal life and nature and communities. Um, <laughs> we create these culturally Great. relevant text sets, and we give them lots of background knowledge and lots of really explicit vocabulary instruction so that they build their understanding of a topic which then improves their reading comprehension. So we're, we're, we're very excited about Excite. We're seeing really great you feedback should. from teachers and schools. Um, and it's really the cream of the crop in terms of the text that we're using as well as the instructional strategies that are supported by research. You know, I'm going to ask you something. This is, this is interesting. I did a show yesterday about a company that, well, so it's, it's Subaru of America is creating resources to help urban kids understand sustainability. Okay, that you know, we'll just, I'll just leave it at that. It's good. Their resources, they'll be up uh, over at Discovery Education, okay, in, in, in six months. All right. My point of saying that is we, you just said culturally relevant, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and, and talk to me about how important that is because, you know, I'm thinking of urban kids, and then I'm thinking you said farming. Farming excites them. My curiosity is are, are, are urban kids, and I know you have other things as well, like community and stuff like that, but are urban kids excited? I was when I was a kid. I grew up in the city, okay, uh, about farming. That's why I'm curious about that. How do you select the subjects that little kids like to read about? Well, so what we know is that naturally young children are inquisitive. They are curious about the world around them. Um, and so we specifically incorporate those informational texts 
that show them about the world surrounding them, that show them about the natural world. Um, and we know that that background knowledge of whatever the topic is um, makes them better readers because the way that background knowledge works is we take new information, we um, use our background knowledge, kind of like Velcro, to make new learning stick. And mm. what we start well, to see is with analogy. things... We, we start to see with things like the NAEP, which is really a measure of vocabulary and background knowledge, the importance of giving kids texts that really play up um, their understanding of the world around them. So there are so many different topics for kids to read about. We do it in ways that um, the texts reflect their lives, their communities, their backgrounds, um, and in ways that support their vocabulary as well as their understanding about the texts. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not talking about reading, but as I was asking that question, you know, I grew up in the city, okay, and my kids grew up in the city in Chicago in their case, but um, we, we always bought them toys like the farmer says, okay, you know, you pull the string and it, make, it makes a yep. sound, and, that's sure. the, and I'm thinking, that had absolutely nothing to do with my kid's life. They weren't going to see a cow for a long time, or a chicken, you know, or anything like that, but, you know, we, we think... Kids do relate to this stuff. It's really interesting. Okay, they do. Well, and, and they also, we hold them responsible for knowledge that they may not have firsthand experience in because of their everyday lives. So we take that kid who is living in an urban area and doesn't necessarily have the resources to go out and visit the farm with their family or caregivers. But down the road, we ask them standardized tests questions which may pull upon background knowledge that they don't have firsthand experience of. So how do they get that knowledge, that exposure? It's through texts. And so that's why it's so important, even if kids are not necessarily saying, I want to read everything about farms, that we give them wide exposure to all of those things because at some point they're going to encounter it um, either in testing or their instructional materials, and we have to have built that background knowledge foundation for them to, to serve as, um, a, a, as a real scaffold for them. Yeah, and it's, it's amazing. And there's a lot of layers to this onion because they, they absorb the stuff, stuff like a sponge. Okay, they don't see cows. Okay, I never, I didn't see cows when I was a kid. I grew up in West Philadelphia. Okay, I didn't see a cow or a chicken. Okay, or a pig. But for some reason, you absorb this stuff. Okay, I, I, it's fascinating, and I love the fact that it is culturally relevant not only to your local community but to your world community. I just find it fascinating. You always bring the stuff up, Molly. I, I, I think it's just great stuff. So the excite reading is for pre-K uh, three. All right, I love this thing, and it's the essential skills. All right, now I want to ask you something, and you have the, I have this note from you. Okay, you refer to early reading instruction, and I love this as a symphony. Symphony, I love this of essential reading components that have to be taught simultaneously to ensure all the children become successful readers. Talk about that. That's fascinating to me. And again, I'm a, I'm like a blank uh, sponge here, a blank slate, a tabula rosa. I, I don't uh, is that a tabula blanca, whatever it is. Okay, what, what is that, Molly? When you're a blank slate, Rousseau? Well, so I will I, I, encourage I'm listeners reading. if they if okay. they haven't already to Google Hollis Scarborough's Reading Rope, which is really a um, depiction of this symphony of multi faceted components that go into reading instruction. Like what? So, 
we know that kids need phonics. They need decoding, which is the ability to lift words off the page. They also need strong um, capacity to put words on the page or spell them, which we often call encoding. They need understanding about vocabulary and background knowledge, which I've spoken about. They need an understanding of semantics and syntax, the role that words play in sentences, how sentences, words come together to create sentences. They need all of these different components. They need an understanding of how different forms of print function so that we read an informational text differently than we read a chapter book. All of these components come together um, to give the foundation of early literacy, and it's not a hierarchy of skills. So we don't just say kindergarten and first grade are all about decoding. We really have to teach all of these components simultaneously so that kids get, they lift off into early reading stages, and then that serves as the foundation um, for lifelong reading. Uh, to me, to me, it's fascinating, and I always—I think I've said this to you before. I find the teaching of reading to be magical. I'm taking kids who know who don't know how to—they're just scribbles on a page, okay, just marks on the page, and somehow they become words with meaning. I don't know how a teacher does that, okay? I was never taught that, all right. And and to me, it's absolutely just absolutely fascinating. And to bring all of that together. All right, it, and, and make that actually happen, this symphony, so to speak. I mean, it's hard to write a symphony, okay? Not many people can do it. But we ask pre-K and elementary teachers to do that every day, all right? And that's why they need, like, the kind of help that Learning Ally and you give them. It's, it's, just, it's just so important. It's, it's, it's crazy. I have to ask you something. You, were, so you told me this today. I didn't know that you were a social studies middle school teacher, and now you are an expert. Okay, there you go again. You're an expert, Molly, in reading. How'd you make that transition? That's an unusual transition. Well, I'm going to force my teenage daughter to listen to you call me an expert because she doesn't think I'm an expert in anything. What's her name? Uh, Her name is Callie. She is definitely entered. Mom's an expert. She has definitely entered the uh, t- developmental phase where everything I do and say is stupid or, you know, merits an eye roll. So, um, um, so I actually I, – I went into the classroom thinking this was kind of a um, – stopping point before I went to law school. Um, I thought I was going to be a lawyer, um, went into the classroom and recognized that uh, public education and really literacy were the social justice cause that I cared most about, the issues of equity that really kept me up at night. I recognized that I didn't know enough, so after a few years of teaching, I came back east and um, did a doctorate in reading education at the University of Virginia. I would gladly go back and do my PhD all over again because um, I loved every second of being a student. And um, what we knew 20 years ago is different than what we know now. Um, Yes, it is. And then I um, really (laughs) felt like my skill set was taking research and translating it into people who had those classroom experiences like you and I had had where we just needed more. We didn't know how to do it. So I spent um, almost two decades as a university professor and teacher educator um, in uh, New York City uh, at a graduate school of education um, before I moved on to my work at Learning Ally. Well, it, it's an amazing transition, and it's a, we're, we're lucky that, that you made it. I, I think it's just great. And you've gone on. Let me just say this. I mean, you really know what you're doing. 
Callie, mom really knows what she's doing. Okay. <laughs> she really does. Okay. Uh, although, please drop Callie off at least a block and a half from the mall from now on. Okay. That's all <laughs> Very I true. Yep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. We're going to be seen together. Um, the, tell everybody what the Coalition for Literacy Equity is that you do, and also your end book, Deserts, which are which both dovetail, because obviously it all comes together, like you're saying, it's a symphony, with, with your work at Learning Ally. Just put it all together. It's really Sure. Cool. So yeah. when I was a professor, um, I stumbled into research showing the vast inequity between um, high poverty areas and wealthier communities around book access. Just the mere fact that when we talk about reading instruction, Obviously, instruction mean, means a lot, but so does access to books outside of school. And I was just blown away by the reality that 32 million American kids lack access to books in their home schools and communities. Um, so I um, started digging into it and was really grateful to start connecting with people grassroots organizations, big, huge corporations um, who were tackling book access as their cause. Um, so I created this podcast to create a conversation, well, first of all, to, to highlight the, um, these book access as an issue because I had been in this space for so long and really only came to this research in 2019. Um, so to shine the light wow. on that wow. book access was, was even an issue, which many people don't are not even aware of, um, and then really to showcase the innovative people and programs who are working to get books into the hands of kids. Um, at first, I was really looking at kids living in, um, in poverty, but then also recognize that there are lots of programs and people who are working to get books to kids living in kind of overlooked um, populations or areas, meaning um, there are programs that specifically give books to kids who live in foster care systems or kids whose parents are incarcerated or deployed. Um, and all of these organizations, um, as I was speaking with them, kind of said that they were working in isolation. There wasn't a professional conference or a home for them to connect to this whole network of people who cared about book access just as much as they did. So um, I said, well, let's create a nonprofit that connects all of these people nice. so that we can learn from each other, collaborate, we can share best practices. Yeah. Um, and that's what the Coalition for Literacy access, uh, Equity does, is it's, it's amplifying the voices of um, all of these organizations into an um, overarching coalition to advance access to really address building reading culture um, and nice. get more people talking about um, book access as a key ingredient in lifelong reading. You know, and, and does it have a website? It does. So um, if you go to, I, I, I recognize that Coalition for Literacy Equity is quite a, a long, a long <laughs> website. So Most people can't to, spell it. No, I'm just Absolutely. It. So yeah. it's, it's litequity.com. Yep. We'll say it again, litequity.com. Lit 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 and um, the uh, End Book Deserts podcast, you can listen on whatever your podcast uh, go-to station is. There's now about probably over 50 different episodes, and it's been really fun to connect with people who care about literacy outside the traditional spaces 
of education. And by that, I mean I've had children's book authors. I've had Olympic athletes. I've had um, corporations um, that are doing this work. So all of these people coming together, we know that it's going to take many voices at the table um, to have conversations about moving the needle forward for literacy um, across our nation. And there are people doing this work in so many spaces, um, the Thank medical you. field, the athletic field, all of these people um, really saying we've got to do a better job getting books to our kids and making them um, want to engage in lifelong reading. You know, uh, I have to say this about Learning Ally. Uh, they're good friends, okay, and you work there. And you reflect. They, you, two, you guys reflect each other. All right, and, and it just goes to show how good Learning Ally is that they have a person like you working for them as the VP of academic content. Because look what you're doing when you're not there, the Coalition for Literacy, Equity, the End Book Deserts, and that's not your job per se. Okay, your job is VP of academic content. just shows how everything juxtaposes and comes together and just good people unite and, and make this happen. And, you know, you brought up something Really, I was thinking back when I was a kid in West Philly, and when I, where I lived in West Philly was literally the very tip of West Philadelphia. And in 1945, it was farmland, and in 1948, it was 20,000 houses after the war. Mm. Okay, and that's, that's where my parents moved to. And for some reason, I always – well, I, not for some reason, I loved reading. But when you said that, we didn't have a library in town for in our section of Philadelphia for sure. at least 10 years. Okay, we had a little bookmobile that started about 1955. Okay, but the library wasn't built till about 1959. All right, and I, I don't know. All the kids I knew read a lot, but I'm I'm trying to think now where the hell we got the books. Sure. I just can't remember. It's, it's so weird when I think about that. And I always had books. And I was always reading. Where was I getting them? Maybe they fell from heaven. I don't know. Well, and and for too many kids, that's still an issue. And we're, yeah. um, we're we know books. that access is even more difficult in um, rural areas where trans- public transportation is difficult. Um, it's pretty staggering when you look at the, um, the the figures around book access. Again, 32 million American kids really struggle to find a book when school doors are closed. And we know um, that public libraries are often losing funding, that school libraries are often losing funding. So we can't just rest on the idea of, well, kids will get their their, uh, books from school um, because what happens when school doors close, as we saw with COVID? Um, Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you can't expect kids to learn to love reading if they don't have access to books. Okay, it's 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 that simple, and, and we have to make sure that the communities stand up for all this. There's just we just have to make sure this all happens. It's so important. We got to nip it right in the butt. I love having you on the show, Molly. Thank you. I just love well, this. I I love being here. Regardless of what Callie says, regardless of what <laughs> Callie says, I love having you on the show. Okay. Well, I always appreciate your time and work to advance equity in um, education. Just we, we're hyper focused on literacy today, but I know you're doing this work um, with so across so many different yeah. fields of education. Well, you you add a lot to what we do. I got to tell you. So thank you, Molly. Pleasure to have you here. Thank okay. you. Right. Take care. You take care. Thanks, pal. Bye. Bye. Okay, everybody. Well, thanks, Molly. She is. The best. Okay, that's Dr. Molly Ness. That rhymes. Molly Ness is the best. 
Okay, she's VP of Academic Content at Learning Ally, learningally.org. They do a lot of great stuff, pre-K-3, okay? And uh, she also does the end book, Deserts and the Coalition for Literacy Equity. This is all great stuff, okay? And I said, uh, you know, Molly reflects the goodness of what Learning Ally does. These are they're just really great, resourceful people, things, whatever, you know, just good stuff out there. A lot of good stuff out there, I got to tell you. All right, we're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. Everything we do over there is free. See what we do all about equity. I'm Larry Jacobs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>